Okay, this is uh, lecture number 10, course on the New Age and, and the uh, occult. And we're uh, talking about the world of the occult. And uh, we finished up uh, fortune telling. And now we're going to deal with psychic surgery. Uh, supposedly this is uh, performing supernatural surgical operations without medical instruments without medical training and, or without scars. Uh, everything that I've read on this though, to be honest with you, I, I've, never, I've never looked into a case that turned out to be genuine. And uh, in fact, uh, those in the art of illusion, uh, you know, magicians by trade say that it's a, you, uh, the, well, almost always when they hold their hands up, if you look real close, you'd see that there were six fingers on at least one of their hands. And, and uh, sometimes they have a fake thumb, and uh, they put all kinds of, you know, chicken guts inside of it or whatever, and, and that type of thing. Hide it down in the bed, and when they're doing the surgery, they, they pinch you to distract your attention while they grab the, the bag of chicken guts. And they, now that was that that part-time job that you had a few years ago. That was the, the, they told me not to reveal the secret. They, you said it was. So it was a conflict of interest. <laughs> this is all the psychic surgery guys. They only deal with physical. They don't do mental. What's that? Oh, they all suffer from. Well, they they couldn't they. They couldn't get anything mental out of a chicken. There was no chicken. After John, they just stopped That again is uh, Kurt Rainier. If you want to direct any uh, correspondence to him, you can write us at P.O. Box 3264. Okay. Uh, uh, but let's just say that we did uh, find a genuine case of psychic surgery. Uh, Take a look at Revelation 13 and verse 13. Uh, this is talking about the the Antichrist and his right-hand man, the false prophet, the uh, end-time world rulers uh, that are demonic. But it's talking about the false prophet, the right-hand man of the Antichrist, and it says... Uh, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in, in the sight of men. So you have these, the supernatural being performed uh, through the power uh, of uh, Lucifer and his demons uh, through uh, the false prophet. Look at uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, another prophecy of the... Uh, Antichrist, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two and verses eight to twelve, and that reads, and then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteousness, uh, unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Uh, 
and for this reason God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So those who reject the truth of the gospel will be susceptible to the strong delusion, the deception in the last days when the Antichrist comes and uh, he's going to perform a tremendous uh, miracle. So it's going to be, you know, I, I used to wonder, you know, why, you know, Jesus performed tremendous miracles and so I could see people following him and accepting his claim to be God and worshiping him and trusting in him for, for salvation. What about the Antichrist and the false prophet, though? They're also going to be performing tremendous miracles, and then the Antichrist is going to pro proclaim himself to be God. Blaise Pascal said something very interesting. He said that one of the, the, one of the, the key factors there is that Christ's life was prophesied in the Old Testament by the proven prophets of God, and Christ fulfilled those prophecies, but then Christ himself, as well as these proven prophets of God, prophesied the coming of the Antichrist so that anyone who would believe the word of God would not be led astray by him. But basically, if you do not accept the truth, you're going to be susceptible to the lie because when this guy comes on the scene with the uh, miracle-working power that he has, but basically what I'm getting at is even if uh, someone was healed through occultic means and you can prove that the supernatural has occurred uh, that doesn't mean it's from God uh, demons are, are more than willing uh, to heal somebody if it's going to lead uh, multitudes of people astray um, what's that? yeah 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 in fact, you know, my father, uh, even as a Roman Catholic with uh, with some theological training, used to read books on Gene Dixon and Edgar Casey and that type of thing. And and uh, I got no problem with people reading them as long as you test it with the Word of God. But he wasn't testing it with the Word of God. He was reading it and and wondering if if uh, ESP and UFOs, if there was some some you know truth behind it that. Uh, you know, out of interest and stuff. Uh, but as as time went on, his his uh, acceptance of uh, the essential truths of Christianity over you know uh, overwhelmed any any uh, uh, other areas he was looking into. Uh, spiritism uh, it's now called channeling. Okay, it's not cool to be you know talk about. Uh, Spiritism, but you know, in, in the past it was done by a medium at a seance, and uh, now it's uh, you know somebody sits down and they voluntarily allow themselves to be possessed, and then a spirit entity speaks through them. In, in some cases, uh, it, it, I, I would guess that in most cases it's probably just a bunch of baloney. Um, but I do think that there's a, at least a possibility that uh, that this is really going on. We know from the, the scriptures, uh, the scriptures talk about uh, uh, demon possession occurring and Christ casting out demons. So uh, it is possible for demons to possess 
uh, human beings, especially if they're uh, opening themselves up, uh, up to that. Um, but uh, whatever the case, though, that they always claim that this is not a demon. This is a spirit of a, of a deceased person. So it's supposedly communication with the dead. Uh, several things can be said about this. We already looked at Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. Uh, Lazarus and the, uh, the Lazarus the beggar and the, the rich man, and uh, that as a general rule, God does not allow the dead to return uh, to communicate with the living. First uh, Samuel. Uh, 28, 6 to 19. Uh, yeah, let's take take a look there. Take a look at 1 Samuel 28. Uh, this talks about the same thing that we looked at in 1 Chronicles, but it gives a little bit more detail. 1 Samuel 28, 6 to 19. Uh, in verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Um, then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium. You know, go between between the spirit realm and the, and the uh, world of the senses, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself. Now see, Saul had outlawed... Saul... I'm glad you found that funny, John. Um, but Saul had outlawed this already, so he had to disguise himself because this woman would never try to contact the spirit of Samuel, uh, the prophet who had recently died, uh, if she knew it was Saul. Because uh, he, she would think, you know, it's kind of it's one of those... Uh, FBI setup type deals, okay? Verse 8, so Saul, but he just saw was taking a nosedive, and uh, the Lord would not answer and would not give him the information about how they were going to do against the Philistines. Saul was in a disobedient state. And, uh, verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, now it never says that she brought up Samuel. All of a sudden, she sees Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now, let me just explain what I think is going on here. Never actually had a real spirit. Yeah, well, either she never had really had a real spirit, or, you know how they call them familiar spirits? You know, if she's been familiar with working with uh, this demon, and uh, 
you know how's he work how he works and whatever and he impersonates whoever the person you know if he has knowledge of the person he impersonates that deceased person and that type of thing but all of a sudden you know Paul says he wants her to bring uh, back Samuel for him and before she even gives it a moment of thought there's Samuel the prophet and she recognizes him as really Samuel the prophet not her familiar spirit and yeah it, it, the she gets intimidated and then she realized Samuel the prophet ain't gonna I can't get Samuel the prophet back here I'm working with that the deceitful spirit I can't get Samuel the prophet here uh, he's not just gonna come back for any little reason if God sent Samuel the prophet back uh, the guy that's talking to me has got to be none other than King Saul himself okay by the way you know Saul could have thrown on a lot of clothes, but he still stood head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. So she might have suspected, you know, maybe this guy, this guy's pretty big. I've never seen anybody that big except uh, King Saul. I think I think there's a good chance, because the way he's described, head and shoulders above all Israel lights. And, and we, we do know that, uh, okay, that the movie Braveheart, uh, William Wallace going way back to like it was something before the time of Aquinas or something like 1050 to 1100 AD um, we do know that supposedly the average height of a male there was just a little bit over five foot tall yet he was six foot seven uh, Mel Gibson by the way a great actor and I'm glad, glad they chose him for the role but if they uh, if they had tried to find somebody more uh, Consistent with with the the William Wallace of history, they would have had to look on, uh, you know, possibly on the defensive line and some some NFL team find some find some defensive lineman out there who's, who doesn't have a gut and give the guy the role. But uh, um, uh, so yeah, it, I think it is po very possible that he could have been uh, a seven footer, and Eliab could have been. You know, he probably wasn't as tall as Saul, but he was real big and muscular from when Samuel went to anoint the next king he saw he saw the size of this guy and uh, but God said don't be impressed with the size of his stature and you know God was looking at for a man after God's own heart and it was David who was probably I'd say he was probably about I don't know five five and a half probably weighed 180 but uh, yeah. what yeah, he was a Raider fan. Me, he and I had a he and I had a lot in common. This is what I'm getting at. Okay, but see, the ideal. Just to think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. What's the ideal size? Think about it for a minute. What's the ideal size of a warrior? Five foot five and a half, 180 pounds. So, but um, um, usually, usually on audio cassettes, I I tell everybody I'm six foot one. But uh, okay. Uh, yeah, well, actually, 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 I, I, I was just, you know, I think about how much I have in common with uh, Tom Selleck, because he's tall, dark, and handsome, and I'm dark, so, it's, but, uh, okay, verse 13, um, and the king said to her, do not be afraid, what did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, 
and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, namely David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, he was supposed to kill all the Amalekites, and he didn't. Uh, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army uh, of Israel into the hand uh, of the Philistines. Um, and so basically, here's an attempt to contact the spirit of the dead, of a deceased person, and it actually worked. And uh, God sent Samuel to just basically pronounce to Saul, you're going to get, your army's going to get defeated, and you're going to be put to death. Uh, tomorrow, so uh, you know, he pronounced judgment on him. So uh, basically, what I'm getting at, even if the seance worked, it shows showed God's displeasure with it, and it was pr probably in this situation that I think the the rule is probably Luke 16:19 to 31, Lazarus the beggar and the rich man, the dead cannot return to the living. But at times, God may uh, make an exception, uh, but in this case, it was a pronounced judgment on Saul, but it was obviously uh, out of God's will. Look at Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, and verses 9 to 12. And that reads... Uh, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Uh, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And uh, so it's real clear that God does, uh, forbids us to try to contact the spirits of the dead. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19. Oh, Isaiah, did I say, yeah, Isaiah 8. I don't know why I'm in Leviticus. But uh, Isaiah had something about Moses and killing, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> uh, okay, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? 
And so obviously it's saying that we should not uh, seek the dead to try to get information. Instead, we should seek turn to God. But keep in mind Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord. If the Lord chooses not to give us that information, then we should be content rather than going, uh, trying to go to the spiritual realm ourselves and get that information. Yeah. Well, and God will either get you here or he'll get you later. Or he'll get you. Part of the moral story behind Samuel and the medium woman, I also thought I heard maybe from you or somebody else, was that, uh, you know, he had told his uh, underlings to go and, and rid his land of all the mediums. Mm-hmm. Yet when he wanted one, yeah. they could find it. Yeah. Right yeah. And so already his hold on power and uh, the obedience of his subjects to him was in reflection to his obedience. Yeah, to that's that's a real good point. And it's uh, uh, you find many examples throughout uh, Saul's career as well where uh, his men were losing respect for him. It was for And... And so, yeah, yeah, because even, uh, what was it, his son Jonathan, he made some bogus command. If anybody eats before this battle is won, um, he'll be put to death. Well, Jonathan didn't hear about it. John, Jonathan and his servants started the battle to begin with and did some heroic thing, wiped out hundreds of guys in the middle. That's it, Kurt. That's... But... Uh, uh, wasn't that one of the demons in Screw Tape was saying that something about instead of studying Gilgo and hit the box of Twinkies? So, but uh, uh, but whatever the case, Saul, rather than breaking his vow, was actually going to put Jonathan to death after he was the the hero of this battle, and uh, and basically, if if I remember right, his own men refused to carry out his order and they just basically ignored him and uh, so. Uh, uh, his disobedience to God definitely was having an, an effect on his people. He couldn't respect God's authority over him, and his people were losing respect for his authority over them as well. Um, but, uh, okay, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Satanism. If, if we get through, it, we, we might be at, well... We'll be able to at least talk about... uh, I know we're going to be back next week. Uh, We might only have one lecture. We might might need two lectures. It's it's tough to say. Uh, But we we should be able to to discuss Satanism today and finish it up. And uh, we might even get into witchcraft. Well, discuss witchcraft. I'll put put it that way, but... Uh, but uh, put those brooms down, guys. I know Halloween's tomorrow. But uh, this is, uh, by the way, for those listening on listening on, listening on audio cassettes, this was this was taped October 30th, 1996, the day before Halloween, and uh, Kurt showed up dressed up as a witch. He was on his way to a. Uh, Masquerade party or Halloween party, whatever you call it. Okay, Satanism. Satanism is basically uh, the worship of Satan. Having said that, there is the modern liberal Satanism uh, of, of Anton LaVey. 
It is kind, it's kind of like a, a liberal theologian who really doesn't believe in God anymore. Anton LaVey is a, a liberal Satanist who really doesn't believe in Satan anymore. Or at least he claims he doesn't. Who knows what the guy believes. Uh, but uh, there's... But by, by the way, you can... You can break down... I, I, I studied uh, different aspects of Satanism not only from a Christian perspective but I was also looking into it from a law enforcement perspective at one time I was in the process of designing a course on uh, ritual crimes and cultic crimes and that type of thing and uh, uh, but never did get the opportunity to teach that course I taught some anti-terrorism courses but uh, but it's it's amazing how many different categories that you could you could you could say well there's the uh, so, some would call Anton LaVey a traditional Satanist. Uh, not because, you see, from a law enforcement standpoint, they don't care if you what your beliefs are about the demonic realm. So from a law enforcement standpoint, if you have, like, traditional-type services and there's people, you have the nonprofit status, they would call you a traditional Satanist. Uh, Whereas you would be a self-styled Satanist if you were the Richard Ramirez type who you just made your own little altar, did your own thing and had your own way of sacrificing people by, you know, i.e. sneaking into their houses at night and blowing them away. Um, so there's lots of different ways, but, the, but the, from a uh, theological standpoint, I just break it down as uh, uh, the modern uh, Satanists, those who deny the existence of Lucifer are basically living uh, according to the teachings of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche and the uh, 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 hedonistic lifestyle. They do whatever they feel like doing type of thing. Uh, that's modern Satanism and traditional Satanism the belief that Satan really does exist and that he will eventually overthrow Christ if enough people back him. Okay. Now within the traditional Satanist What's that? What do they base that on? What texts or, or revelations or what are they? Uh, it, 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 it's amazing though. The, the uh, they don't really base it on any any texts. They just it, it's just one of those deals where remember I said at the basic. Just went over this last night in Seattle and the lectures over there in apologetics. The the basic, the essence of free will, is the two drives in man. One is for transcendence. Basically, our thirst for God, our uh, desire to transcend our earthly experience. Uh, uh, Solomon said that uh, that uh, God has put eternity in our hearts. Okay, so we long to to uh, uh, to find eternal joy and all. So, but basically, God's put a thirst. You know, Blaise Pascal said uh, our hearts are no. Uh, that was Augustine. Blaise Pascal said that there's a heart-shaped, the God-shaped vacuum in the hearts of all men that only God can fill. Uh, Augustine said, "Our hearts are restless. You have made us for that for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee." Okay, uh, so God has put a thirst for Him in the hearts of all all men. So there's that thirst for transcendence. But again, though, there's also a drive for human autonomy. We want to be our own king. We don't want to bow before God's throne. We don't want to abide by His laws. So when the atheist says that we invented God by wishful thinking, 
we could turn around and say, well, maybe you're trying to kill the Father image or kill God because you don't want to bend the knee. And uh, I don't think anybody would wish for the strict, totally just God of the Bible, uh, at least at first glance, until you find out more and more about his love. What's that? Not without the mercy side. Yeah, until you find out about the mercy side. But, but he, even, even with God's mercy and grace, <laughs> once you get saved, you find out there's a lot of changes that got to be made. And there's this thing called renewing uh, of your mind, and you got to stop being conformed to the world. And uh, but uh, um, why was I running on this? I asked you what text I used. Oh yeah, and it's just basically what they're they're overemphasizing. They're catering to that that drive for human autonomy, and there's a resentment at the same time. It is possible that you might witness to a Satanist who may believe in, uh, you know, 95% of uh, the most important Christian doctrines out there. Um, there are some traditional Satanists that believe that Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. And get her an open rebellion against him. Yeah, that Jesus Christ became a man, that he is the Savior of mankind. Um, and that he died on the cross for man's sins. But they do not want to, to serve him. Uh, they do not want, like John says in John 3, 19-21, they love the darkness, they love their sins, so they don't want to come into the light and have their sins exposed. And so even though they agree... See, <coughs> in order to be a true Christian, you have to believe certain... There's propositional truth, and personal truth. By proposi propositional truth, what I mean is that there are certain uh, statements, certain truths about Jesus that we must believe with our heads, head knowledge, before we have the true Jesus of the Bible. But once we have the true Jesus of the Bible, then we have to trust in Him for salvation, which we then enter into a personal relationship with him. And what the, what many Satanists have done is they've accepted, the traditional Satanists, that is, they've accepted they, they, with their heads that, yes, the triune God is the one true God that exists. At the same time, uh, I want to oppose him with everything that I've got because I don't want to trust in him for salvation. I don't want to go to his heaven. I would rather serve a god like Lucifer uh, who's so into pleasure for himself that maybe he'll give me whatever I desire you know and that's the big the big lie of Satan and his demons is that they're gonna they're you know God's a big party pooper and uh, and uh, Satan and his demons are gonna give you whatever you desire that type of thing when in actuality the the, the greatest desires that man has only God can meet you know, Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every utterance of the mouth of God. Uh, David said, uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it's just crazy, too. Those who, human, instead of bowing before God's throne, those who rebel against God, continue to rebel against God, they want their own throne. The crazy thing is, those who bow before God's throne and worship Jesus as God and trust in him alone for salvation, the book of Revelation says in, in the end we end up sitting enthroned with him. Now obviously we're serving him. He's in, the one who's in charge, but he does give us 
at least in the millennial kingdom, uh, a certain amount of responsibility uh, and delegates authority to uh, his servants so that uh, they, they end up sitting, we end up sitting enthroned. Uh, but those who fought so hard for their own throne, uh, you know, you, you don't, you're never going to sit enthroned in hell. Uh, but, uh, uh, but basically the, the two uh, categories that I play Satanism into, the worship of Satan, is modern uh, liberal Satanism of, of Anton LaVey, and then the traditional Satanists that, be, that believe in a literal Satan and that he will eventually uh, overthrow Christ. Uh, okay, uh, let's take a look at modern Satanism. Uh, Anton LaVey is the high priest of the Church of Satan. They do have the nonprofit status. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, it's in San Francisco. I worked there once. And I followed the PO box, and there was a bogus address. Forward. There was no church. Yeah, they, they, they had, may have gotten the address wrong, so we looked yeah. in his book. Mm-hmm. And you know, friend of mine wanted to go see I, it. I, I saw photos of it. There's there's one uh, dictionary of cults and stuff. And it's actually, it looks just like one of those San Francisco three or four story houses real close to other houses. So it doesn't look like anything special. Right, okay. And, uh, but it's one of those deals where it would look like something special if you just put it on five acres all alone because they're nice houses. But, you know, it's an area of San Francisco where you've got nothing but a bunch of narrow four or five story or three or four story houses side by side with the big porches and stuff and and that type of no place to park you know and and then if you do get the the two parking spaces in front of the house it's uh you're on a 90 degree angle like all streets in uh, san francisco uh, but uh but anton levey he, he i believe he's, he still is the high priest of the church of Satan, but he, he doesn't have an active role i don't know there's some rumors that he might have went you know, gone crazy or whatever, but which is possible because his mentor Friedrich Nietzsche—that's he ended up insane. Of course, they they, they attribute that to uh, syphilis, but yeah. Did you ever take the bait or anything? Anton Levey. Right now, he's not doing much of anything. It's his. What was his daughter's name? Zena. Is that it, Zena? Is that the one that's on uh, opposite birthdays? Yes. That's uh, wrong cult. Uh, what do you call it? Um, um, that's called the TV. Um, That's Hollywood cult. I th- it's either Zena or something. I I get mixed up with his daughter's name and David Bowie's son's name. But but uh, uh, but I think he turned over the reins to her, and I, I think she's in charge now. Last I heard, it, it, you know something's wrong when Geraldo Rivera does a show on Satanism, and he doesn't get an interview with Anton Lavey. He gets an interview with his daughter, but. Uh, but uh, apparently, as far as I know, she's calling the, the shots now. But but the reason why I classify them as modern is they're they're, they're humanistic. They're uh, basically they're, they're they're atheistic in their thought, as far as I can see. They they do not believe in a literal Satan. And uh, the best way to sum up their belief system is that it's hedonistic. They're pleasure seeking. If it feels good, do it. Do as you please. 
And there's a big emphasis on the philosophy of the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who died in 1900, who said God is dead and traditional values have died with him. Then he called for a, a, a group of supermen to arise on the scene with the uh, will to, to power uh, and the, the uh, uh, will to create their own uh, hard values rather than the soft values of Christianity which Nietzsche thought was holding back human process he recommended hard values that would further human uh, progress Um, but uh, uh, so you you find a lot of Friedrich Nietzsche's type type of thought in there Uh, he's he's got statements something like uh, what's it like do as thou wilt or something like that but it is basically if you want to do it just go and do it and who cares about who, you know, it's irrelevant whose rights you're stepping over. So this is more than uh, libertarianism, you know. These guys are not saying just do whatever you please as long as you don't hurt somebody else. They're saying, hey, look, if you come across, if you come across a sucker and he deserves to get his face bashed in and you feel like bashing his face in, if you think you can get away with it, go for it, you know. In fact, you're doing him a favor. Um, and uh, it says uh, Anton LaVey wrote the uh, Satanic Bible he's also got another book out that that gives you the rituals for performing the black mass and that type of thing keep in mind when they go through the motions on the black mass and things like that um, it's more they like the religious aspect of man they just don't like God and they don't believe in demons so they're just going through the rituals uh, because they like the rituals, but they don't really believe there's meaning behind. Now that's that's if we accept what Anton Lavey says about himself. There are some that believe that uh, he really does uh, believe in the demonic realm. Now let me say this too. Did he say that his book, the, the Satanic Bible, even though he says he doesn't believe in it, it sounds like it was very uh, yeah. Well, well, the thing is. Okay, keep in mind the character. This guy grew up in carnivals and circuses working for, you know, and uh, um, I mean, he's a real con artist. So, you know, where you draw the line, I don't know, but, but he basically set out to investigate the world of the occult, you know, research into people like Aleister Crowley and, and you know, uh, that type, and so he's done an awful lot of research and all, and that's what comes out in his satanic Bible, but he would take more of the Ozzy Osbourne approach. Hey, I don't believe any of this garbage, but it sells. You write this bad stuff and it sells. I mean, I am a hedonist, I'll admit to that. Uh, and so I, I, I think, I think, number one, at the very least, he started out his satanic church you know, basically, he sees Satan as the symbol of all that is called evil in Christianity. Okay? So basically, like, like Nietzsche, he's saying, I don't like the soft values of the Christian God. I like the hard values of Satan. But I don't believe in Satan or the Christian God. It's really just a battle between good and evil. But in my book, evil is good. I like evil. Okay? So, he's siding with all those practices 
that have been uh, affiliated with Lucifer over the years, but he doesn't really believe in Lucifer's existence. I believe that at the very least he started out that way, but when you dabble in the world of the occult and in gross immorality and that type of thing, um, you know, you know, how do rock and roll music go from, uh, you know, baby, baby, can't you hear my heartbeat, to within, uh, you know, just 20 years, you know, lyrics like, would you like to see the Pope on the end of a rope, and we're on the highway to hell, and they refer to hell as the promised land. Um, uh, I think a lot of the inspiration for lyrics like that came from the fact that uh, rock and roll music went hand in hand with drug abuse, and uh, uh, the Bible calls that sorcery, the Greek word is pharmakia, we get our word pharmacy from it, and it translates it as, you know, sorcery. So in, in biblical times, drug abuse, whether it was to make a magic potion uh, to put a curse on somebody, or whether it was to escape reality or to try to find some higher reality for yourself, that was considered, you were considered a sorcerer. And uh, so I think that was the open door to the demonic realm for rock and roll music. Uh, so that I think there's even there's a lot of guys that don't really believe in the demonic realm. Uh, at the same time, they're really being demonically inspired for their lyrics. And some of them actually get, get scared after a while and say, wait a minute, something, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne has admitted that he's done things and written things that he did not feel like it was, uh, it was coming from uh, his own mind. Uh, but, uh, so I think it's possible that Anton LaVey's views might have changed over the years, and maybe he did really uh, eventually reach a point where he accepted the uh, existence of, of Lucifer and just won't admit it. Uh, but we could give him the benefit of the doubt. The fact of the matter is he's still leading lots of people astray. Not only is he a hedonist himself, but he's not only leading young people into hedonism, young and old alike, I should say, but he's also... Uh, leading many people into uh, uh, Satanism as well. Um, LeVay not only wrote the Satanic Bible, but he played Satan in the, in the film uh, Rosemary's Baby. And uh, they do celebrate, even in modern Satanism, the modern Satanism of Anton LeVay, they do celebrate the Black Mass, um, but you know they claim it's just symbolic for them, whereas uh, the traditional Satanist, it would be... Uh, literal for them so they actually would do the human sacrifices and that type of thing uh, if they are really serious uh, in, in fact you know Geraldo Rivera once was doing a program on Satanism and he had Sean Sellers uh, a self-styled Satan worshiper that I don't remember if it was ACDC I forget what his favorite band I think it was ACDC was his favorite band and that led him into buying the Satanic Bible and starting his, getting his own altar and his own little Satanic cult. And he ended up uh, hearing voices telling him to blow away his parents. He blew his parents away, and then he blew some grocery store person away. Finally got caught, and he's on... Last I heard, he's still on death row, but now he's converted to Christianity. And Geraldo Rivera interviewed him. But then Geraldo Rivera had... After his conversion. And... Uh, but then Geraldo Rivera was interviewing Anton LaVey's daughter, who was denying that they believe in a literal Satan and denying that they have human sacrifices. And he, even if 
Anton LaVey's people do have human sacrifices. Hey, they got a, they got the nonprofit status. They've got millions of supporters. They're not going to admit it. So Geraldo Rivera was just barking up the wrong tree, trying to pin her down. When the other guy he was interviewing was this guy with the blonde hair that formed came down to a point. I mean, this guy this guy was like uh, an Eddie Monster look-alike. And no, no, no. It's just, some other guy was on the program, but the guy was a self-styled Satanist, dressed all in black. And he asked him about two or three questions, and this guy responded in the most blatant way possible. And then he just left him, and he just kept trying to... But that wasn't sensational. Well, well, the, 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 well what I'm getting at is he was trying to find some real bad, you know, human sacrifice type dirt on Anton LaVey and company. And, uh, you know, those boys are in it for the money. He had another guy that might have spilled the beans if he would have, you know, he was just twisting the wrong guy's arm. The, the other guy really believes in what he's doing, really believes in the power of, even though he's self-styled, if you start pushing, you know, you start pushing his God around, this guy might get a little angry and might actually say a few things that, uh, there's no, this guy, this guy over here, this is not a business to this guy, you know. The traditional Satanist, it's not a business, it's, uh, it's his life, it's his worship. And, uh, but uh, whatever the case, uh, the traditional, the traditional Satanist, uh, looks like we're going to run out of time. We'll pick it up with the uh, traditional Satanist, uh, traditional Satanism in the next lecture, and then we'll talk about... Uh, witchcraft, both white magic and black magic, and then demon possession. So we will be back next week.